You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So here's what we've seen so far in the book of Malachi. God wants to connect before he corrects. It shows us the father heart of God. The first thing that he does is tell them how much he loves them. And because he loves them, he wants to correct them. You know, the same is true for all parents. I mean, think about it. Because you love your kids, you're not going to let them play Dodge Car out on 601. It's kind of like Frogger. It's not going to be good. You know, what's going to happen is that it's a surefire way for them to get hurt, and it's not a life-producing event. God loves his people, and they've been going astray, led by the priests who have not been loving and serving God, and therefore not loving and serving the people well. This means worship is all wrong. The sacrificial system is all wrong. They have their relationships in the wrong order. We'll talk more about that today. And it's left them wondering, where is the God of justice? That's how chapter 2 ended. And the reason none of this is working is because Jesus hasn't shown up yet. Well, today we open up chapter 3 and here is what God has to say. I will send. So the good news is it's not up to you. It's not up to me. God says, I'll fix it. I will send my messenger. Who's that? That's, John, that's Jesus's weird rural Jedi robe, bug eating, honey chugging cousin, John. He's a weird kid, but he loves the Lord. And he's the one who's going to do the job. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking, who is that? That's Jesus, will come to his temple. The temple where the presence of God is. The place where people would meet with God. It's the intersecting, connecting point between heaven and earth. Question, is the temple still existing? No, it's not. I've been there. It's not there. When did it get destroyed? In 70 AD, a long time ago. That means this one who is to come has to come before 70 AD because he's going to come to his temple. He's the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. That's who will come, says the Lord Almighty. This is Jesus Christ, the one who is faithful even when we are faithless. The one who is forgiving even when we are undeserving. The one who loves from a pure heart even when we are unloving from a hardened heart. That's the Father heart of God. He is coming. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites. That was the the priesthood. It's kind of like the pastors. And refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness 
And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So here's what God says. Jesus is coming because family without Jesus doesn't work. Jesus is coming because church without Jesus doesn't work. Jesus is coming because life without Jesus doesn't work. Because nation without Jesus doesn't work. Then I got some really good news for you. When he's talking about refining and he's talking about soap, what he's talking about is purifying and cleansing. With refining, you use fire to draw out the impurities. You use soap to take care of what's unclean. Here's what that means. You are forgiven by Jesus Christ. You are loved by Jesus Christ. You are made new by Jesus Christ. You are made clean by Jesus Christ. He wanted these people to know they weren't just forgiven, but they could experience God's forgiving power. You can be forgiven. And you need to know that whatever you have done in your heart, in your head, with your hands, it can not only be forgiven, you will be made clean, made new by this man, Jesus Christ. You, my friend, even though you belong to God, you will still get yourself dirty. But God will make you clean. He will clean you up so you no longer have to live in condemnation. So you no longer have to live in shame or guilt. Well, now the text moves to where the Lord wants to reorient their relationships. You see, for them, they didn't really care about the relationship. Their primary care was about the resources. They're like, God, we want more money. God's like, well, let's talk about that after we talk about our relationship. And let me say this, life is largely about two things. And these two things will dominate and, and, and motivate our time and energy. It's relationships and resources. God wants our relationships to be first, the resources to be second. They're talking a lot about resources. God wants to focus on the relationship. So here's what God says. I, the Lord, do not change. That's a big statement. When we're talking about God, we refer to God in terms of something called his attributes. Like God is holy, God is loving, God is just, God is sovereign. Well, here he adds another one. God does not change. The key to understanding God is to have all of his attributes existing co-equally consistently. Problems happen when we take one of God's attributes and elevate it over the rest. As a result, we have this inaccurate, incomplete view of God. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you were to take the sovereignty of God, that he's in charge, he's, he's in control of everything, but you left out all the rest of the attributes, you end up with something called deism, which means God is... He's around, but he is so far away. We can't really get to know him. He's not involved in our lives. Or how about this one? 
Some people will say that God's only attribute is love. And by love, that means you can do whatever you want to do. But God is also holy. You see, all of his attributes work together. And here, one of his attributes is revealed and it's declared that God does not change. Why is God unchanging? Because he's perfect. The reason we're still needing to change is because we're imperfect. God gets it right the first time. God is holy. God is good. He doesn't need to change. He's perfect. That's the point. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Now, when you hear that phrase, descendants of Jacob, think of family. This is family language. Keep thinking in terms of family first because God wants to prioritize the relationship before he gets to the rules. Relationships first, rules second. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Here, God is really focusing on the relationship. And what he's saying is this. You're like kids who have run away from home. I think more just than just coincidental that Melanie talked about that in the children's sermon time. And the point is that sometimes even those of us who are adults, supposedly mature and grown, we're like, I'm sick of it, God. I, that's it. I'm leaving. And God's like, where are you going? What are you going to do without me? You're like, I don't know. Some of you have run away from God. Some of you have rebelled against God. Some of you have not opened your Bible. You've not prayed. And it would cause you to maybe think, God, have I run so far that it's over? And what God is saying here is, you ran, but so did I. Here's what that means. It doesn't matter how far you've run from God. If you just turn around, he's there. You know why? Because he's been pursuing you. He is pursuing, and that's what it says here. He's looking at his people, and he's like, man, you guys, it's like you all have just run away, but if you'll just turn, I'm right here. I'll take you back. We can work on the relationship. It doesn't matter where you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've thought. It doesn't matter what you've said if you'll just turn around. Here's the good news. God does not change. Now, what that means is if we disagree with God, who's got to change? You're like, God, this is all wrong. Something's got to change. And God's like, I vote you change, right? When we disagree with God, we need to change. They want God to change. But the good news is, in fact, that God does not change. He doesn't change his heart, his mind, his, his commitment to his people. That's amazing. And that means if God decides to love you, that'll never change. If God decides to adopt you as one of his kids, that'll never change. If God decides to give you forgiveness, that'll never change. Now, here comes one of those verses that gets widely used and abused and misapplied. Most of you, most Christians, if you've heard anything from Malachi, it's probably this 
what I would call the preacher's go-to, show me the money verse. And, and those who misteach Malachi 3, they would say, here's what, it, here's what it's going to say. If you give, God will give. And what that's doing is encouraging the same heart that God is rebuking in Malachi 3. We don't give to get a blessing. The giving is the blessing. He goes on. Will you, uh, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Okay, this is two things. One is tithe. That literally means 10%, one-tenth. The other is offerings. That's giving over and above the 10%. And what God is saying is that you are giving a little, but you're not giving what I've asked. You saw this earlier. We saw this earlier in the book. What were they giving as sacrifices? (laughs) Lame, blind, sick sacrifices? They were given their worst. They're not generous in their heart. They're not grateful toward God. So he has to tell them, you're under a curse. Your whole nation, even even the leaders, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's the temple. That's the funding of ministry. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land says the Lord Almighty. Now, what we're talking about here is stewardship. Some 800 times in the Bible is stewardship. 25% of what Jesus teaches is on the theme of stewardship. And they're coming to God and they're saying, we're suffering. And God says, it's because you're not stewarding. And let me say how insightful this is. If you don't steward your health, you're going to suffer physically. If you don't steward your relationships, you're going to suffer personally. If you don't steward your soul, you're going to suffer spiritually. If you don't steward your finances, you're going to suffer financially. You know, sometimes we can't really figure out our suffering. Sometimes it's unjust. Sometimes it's a mystery. Sometimes our suffering is caused by us. In this instance, they are blaming God for their suffering, and God is showing them that their suffering is a result of their failure to be good stewards. So this is a big theme and and big idea, and the concept of stewardship is this. God is the owner. We are the managers. We are to manage. We're to be generous. You see, God doesn't just give to us. He wants to give through us. God gives through us. And what a steward realizes is what Jesus' brother James says, and that is everything we have is a gift from the Father above. And if you start to see everything that you have as a gift, it opens up in you a childlike wonder and gratitude, and it combats our sense of entitlement. And what God is saying here 
is that the people are coming to him and they're like, we want, we want, we want. And God's like, okay, I don't mind giving resources, but first let's deal with the relationship. You're not stewarding my stuff in the way that I've asked you to. And as a result, I'm not likely to give you more stuff. I mean, think of it this way. How many of you would be frustrated if you went to the bank and you said, I'd like to make a withdrawal? And they said, well, actually, we chose to do something else with your money. We know you said to put it into an account, but we put it into our pockets. Or, or what if you had money and you gave it to somebody and you said, okay, uh, so-and-so is in need or, or it's Christmas time or a single mom. Would you see that they get this money? And then you meet that person later and you said, hey, did, did you get that gift? And they're like, what gift? Well, that, that so-and-so was supposed to give you. I, I never saw it. So you go back to that person. You're like, what'd you do with the money I gave you? Well, I kept it. <laughs> no, no. That's not what you were supposed to do with it. See, that's how God sees everything. We tend to look at things from our perspective, and here we need to say, how does God see it? And what God is saying is, I gave, and you didn't steward. You thought I gave it to you? I wanted to give it through you. The Bible says that he who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. The context of that is finances. And what God is saying is that if I put something in your hand, you are to steward it. And if I give you more, then be faithful with that. And I can continue to allocate more resources because you get the point that it's not yours to begin with. It was mine. And I'm giving it through you so that you can share it with others and be a blessing to others. You see, here's the good news. When we give, we don't give in order to get a blessing, the giving is the blessing. The Bible says in Acts, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. That's what God is working on with his people. And again, it all starts with a relationship and a recognition that we have a father who is generous and he's good, and he's kind, and he's, and he's loving, and, and he gives grace, and compassion, and mercy, and forgiveness, and, and a relationship. And when he gives it, he wants us to keep our hands open so he can give it through us to share with others. This is the heart of what's going on. They're like, God, we want more stuff. And God's like, how about we talk about that after we talk about our relationship? Because if our relationship is better, your heart is better, I'll give you more. But until then, all I'll be funding is rebellion. See, some people want to use that verse from Malachi 3 as like God's ATM machine. You just punch in Malachi 3 and all the loot comes out. That's not it. Okay, last section. And by that, I mean we're like halfway through. Just kidding. The resources are for the relationship. So for the Christian, we don't use God and people to get money. We use money to love and serve God and people. You get that. Giving is loving. If you give encouragement, if you give time, if you give service, if you give money to the people and things you love, loving is a verb. Loving is doing. So he's got to 
get that relationship on the right plane again. He says, you've spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Maybe some of you have had hard words with the Lord. Look, these people are not atheists. They're angry, they're frustrated, they're unhappy, they don't understand why it's not working. They look at bad people, those whom they determine are bad, and what do they see? Well, their health is good, their finances are good, life is fairly easy for them. And then they look at themselves and they say, yeah, hey, we're good people. And what do we see? (laughs) Life is hard. Finances are not going well. My health is not in the right place. Now, first and foremost, that's a corrupt heart. If you look up and say, God, why do you only care about the bad people? Why not good people like me? God looks down and says, you know what? You're all bad people. Just so you know, there's Jesus and bad people. That's it. Those are the two categories. There's Jesus and bad people. Jesus is over in a category all to himself. The rest of us are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. But how many of you are frustrated? You're like, I'm sick. I want to be healthy. I'm poor. I don't want to be poor. I got fired and that bum got the job. I love my spouse and they ran off, but this other person is terrible to their spouse and they're still there. I love my kids, but my kids hate me. Christmas is coming and I know it's going to be a disaster. All right, don't raise your hand, but if that's you, you're like, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. It's not working. And how come? I read the Bible. You've got all this stuff. I need some stuff. You heal people. Look at me. Help. Come on. Today, now. Is anybody listening? Now, some of you would say, man, I would never say that. But if you've ever thought it, God knows your thoughts. Here's what I want you to know. God can handle you. Amen. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. It's a waste. Some of you may have gotten there. Look, I volunteered at my last church. It didn't work. I quit. It was no use. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. God, you're good to the wrong people. We took a vote and we decided that it's really no use to serve you. Some people say that. Certainly evildoers prosper. And when they put God to the test, They get away with it, it seems. But Malachi goes on and says, that those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Okay, so there was a remnant. There was a group who said, you know what? Maybe God's not the problem. Maybe we are. 
Maybe we should focus on the relationship and not demand all the resources. Maybe we should have our priorities be his priorities. And what happened when they came to this? The Lord listened and heard. Do you know that God hears your prayers? He does. Sometimes you may wonder, hey, am I just talking to the ceiling? And God says, no, you're talking to your dad. And then here's what they did. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. What these people decided to do was write a book of remembrance in the presence of the Lord. You know what that is? That's a recounting of the faithfulness of God. So here's my assignment to you before Thanksgiving comes. Before we ask God for what we want at Christmas or for what we want next year, we need to thank God for what he has given this year. This is how the children of God develop and cultivate an attitude of gratitude. What has God taught you this year? What has God saved you from this year? Who has God brought into your life this year? What has God protected you from this year? What does he put into your hand? And then how does he want you to manage that and and steward that so it's a blessing to others? The Lord gets really personal. It's really good news. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. Let me ask you, what is your treasured possession? Is it car, house, beauty? I mean, that's mine. Status, success. Here's what God says. You are. You're my treasure. And he says, I will spare them. Just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Here we see people who are very, very unfaithful to God. Relationally, they failed him. Resource-wise, they failed him. And we see God who is very, very faithful He is working on a relationship with them and he wants to work on a relationship with you. He is exceedingly generous in his words and with his works. And what God is doing here is he's trying to get their hearts open. He's trying to get their hands open so he can start to bless them and they will realize that he doesn't just give to them, but he also gives through them. And the whole point of this is to prepare people for the coming of that first Christmas. This is the last book in the Old Testament. This is God preparing his people for the coming of Christ in the first Christmas. The whole trajectory of where the Old Testament is going. The whole point of human history. It's where God is driving the entire story. And so it comes to pass that Jesus does come and God the Father wraps his son in human flesh. And my question to you would be this. Have you received the gift of Jesus Christ? You see, God the Father sends Jesus as a gift. So let me just ask you, have you received the gift of forgiveness of sins? 
Have you received the gift of a reconciled relationship with God through Christ? Some of you may ask, okay, what do I have to give? This is crazy. Give your sin. Jesus wants you to give your worst. And in exchange, he will give you his best. You give Jesus your sin, and he gives you his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his forgiveness. That's the plan. That's the good news. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.